All right, before today's show, I want to talk directly to you. Yeah, I'm talking to you. I know you're out there. I see you out there. You want to start your business. You don't know what you don't know. You don't know what pieces are missing. You're not sure how to find deals. You're not sure how to raise money. You're not sure how to structure your business. Who's supposed to be in it? What do they do? What are the roles involved? And how does that all work? And how do you scale it eventually? Well, listen, I've got you covered. I know this is a huge problem and I know you're struggling with it. And I have a solution. It's called the Business Fast Track Blueprint. It's a program that I put together. It's four weeks and it's designed to quickly get you off the starting blocks and get your business off the ground and running with a plan, a blueprint of how to create that business and turn it into something that gets you to your goals. If you want to find out more, it's Starting soon, you can go to Business Fast Track Blueprint. Go there, check it out, businessfasttrackblueprint.com. Sign up, be there. I want to see you on the inside of this program. I want to help you get your business off the ground and get you off to the races in 2021. Go check it out. If you would have asked me this question a year ago, I would have said, by the beginning of 2021, I really think we're going to see something change in the market. It's going to start leveling off or even kind of going down. And I did say that. If you look back and at my podcast and people that I talked to, everyone was saying that, most everyone. And I was I was there, I was included. So if I would have waited, it would have been January, February, March, April, May, now we're into June. I would still be waiting without any idea of when it's going to happen. So the fact of the matter is, just like this, this, um, this person asked, they said, I think foreclosures are going to increase. We don't know. We really don't know what's going to happen. And so if we don't know what's going to happen, then what are we waiting for? You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right. Thank you for joining me today on another Just Start Real Estate episode. I appreciate you being here. I appreciate your time and your attention. I really, really do. I know there's lots of places you can get information. We're just inundated with stuff all the time, every day, all day. And I think it's cool that you're here. I have another great Q&A replay. I do these every Wednesday at 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific. I do them on Facebook, on my Just Start Real Estate Facebook page. So you can always log in and check those out on Wednesday evenings. And you can ask questions live. I'll answer them live. We'll interact. It's a lot of fun. But I think that there's so much value there and there's the questions that are being asked are really, really good questions. And they're questions that you guys have, the audience, right? People who follow me. And so I think it's good to go there. But I also think it's great to replay them here because I, I really do believe there's a lot of stuff that happens in those Q&As that you guys will want to be part of. So you can check those out. But I'm bringing you one today and it's a good one. But before I do that, guys, I want to remind you. I have launched a new program. It's called the Business Fast Track Blueprint. I've never launched a program. I've never offered anything like this to you guys before. I have literally spent years and years and years and really intensely the last five years, five going on six years now, that I've been working with entrepreneurs, real estate investors, just like yourself, to help them build six, seven, and eight-figure businesses. And I've learned a lot. I've seen a lot through my own experiences and through just coaching and mentoring people through their experiences. So I really think that this program 
is going to help you if you're struggling to A, start your business, don't know where to start, don't know how to launch it, don't know how uh, to put together the pieces in the best way to be the most successful, or if you're trying to grow, you've launched your business, you're running a real estate investing company, but it's just not growing, you're not able to get that traction, you don't know how to hire and, and build the systems and processes. So we're gonna cover that stuff in this program, and it's ridiculously, inexpensive, affordable, I should say. So if you want to check it out, you can go to businessfasttrackblueprint.com. Go to businessfasttrackblueprint.com and you can check it out. I want to see you in that program because I really think I can help you. All right. This week's Q&A, we went over uh, what to do about the foreclosure situation. Do we wait? Do we wait until the uh, forbearance uh, moratorium is over? Or do we dive right in right now if you're thinking about starting a real estate business? So you can hear my answer on that. About managing rentals and things like that. How do you find someone to manage your rentals? Do you, rent, do you manage them on your own? Do you hire somebody? Uh, why real estate investing is really such a great vehicle to building long-term wealth. I also talked to someone who was getting beat a lot. They're bidding on properties and just getting beat every single time. And I just talked to her about what she should do about that. And uh, and someone who was asking about rentals and how to how to evaluate them. What's the 1% rule? What's the 2% rule? How do I know if it's a good deal or not? So we, we had a lot of great conversation. I answered a lot of questions that I thought were excellent, excellent questions. And that's what you're going to hear in this episode. So uh, grab a drink, sit down, and hopefully you enjoy this as much as I did. Okay, guys, we are here. We're live. Thank you for joining me again. Thank you for coming back. I appreciate it. As you know, we do this every week at seven o'clock Eastern time, four o'clock Pacific. And you coming and joining me here is awesome. I really appreciate it. Uh, as always, if you have questions, uh, you can put them in the comments. And let me click on here so I can make sure I get your comments. All right. And I'm going to make myself mute. Here we go. All right. Thanks for coming back. I appreciate it, guys. We do this every week. Like I said, I am I love it when you log on. I love it uh, when you have questions. Uh, I have questions ready to go that I, I get throughout the week. Um, there is no shortage of those. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer those until you guys start filing in here and asking questions of your own. Um, I also want to remind you, uh, I know a lot of you, uh, a lot of you, probably the vast majority of you fall into one or two categories. Either you want to start a real estate business. If you're on this particular live, I, I think you're probably in the real estate space. Um, but regardless, you want to start your business or you started it, but it's just not growing like you thought it would or like you want it to, or you know, you're just not sure how to scale it. Like you, you've gotten some traction, you've done some deals, you've had a little success, but ultimately it's not enough for you to maybe quit your job or to have the financial freedom that you've always wanted. And I get that. I, I've been in that space. And unfortunately, I have gone through all of the hard things that people go through when they're, when they're starting a business and trying to scale it. And I spent <clears throat> five years, you know, embarrassingly enough on the sidelines and I wasn't, um, I wasn't really getting it done. I wasn't even starting my business. I was just watching people around me do it. I was reading books. I was on the internet. I was on forums and I was, you know, I was procrastinating. I was afraid to take that step. And so I spent five years doing that. And I know what that cost me. I, I've done the math. You know, I'm just neurotic enough to actually do the math and figure out how much money did I leave on the table? 
And it was millions because I know what I am doing now. And if I just kind of apply to like, what if I would have started sooner? How much more, you know, could I have made back then? And so I've done that math. So I know what it means to not start. And I also know what it means to get started and to be frustrated because you're doing, you know, you're having just enough success to keep you interested and realize there's something to this but you're just not getting off the ground like you thought you would. And, and the, 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 the wins are too far between and too few. And it's just frustrating. It's like, how long are you going to go just sort of waiting and just keeping your head barely above water with your business and putting tons and tons of time into it, but not getting the returns that you expected. And so I've spent the last five years as part of a high level and still am a high level mastermind called seven figure flipping. And, you know, the, the, the price to get into that program is, is steep. It's high. It's a big investment. Well, worth it, but not everybody's ready to take that step. And I get that. So what I have done is I've taken that knowledge, that experience of, of working with hundreds and hundreds of entrepreneurs, people trying to get started and also people who've gotten started who want to scale. And I've created a, a small program, um, called the business fast track blueprint. And it, it sort of distills down and incorporates everything that I've learned over the past 13 years that I've been running my business. And and over the last five years of what I've taught and what I've learned to be the issue with new investors, new entrepreneurs, people who are struggling, they don't know what they don't know. So it's kind of hard to make adjustments to what you're doing if you just don't know what it is that you're missing. So I've created this, this program. You can go to businessfasttrackblueprint.com to check it out. Uh, I highly suggest you, you do that. And I encourage you to take a look and consider joining. This is the, the first, this is the launch. This is sort of like the first time I've offered this. And like I've told a few other people who have signed up, you better believe I want people to see results. And I, anything I put my name on, anything I, I stand behind, I believe in 100%. And this is no different. I know that I can impact you. I can impact your business. I can help you find the success you want and move on to, to bigger and better things. Um, but it all starts with asking for help and, and realizing that you can't do it on your own. And that's one thing I, I realized. And it took me a long time because I spent five years not doing anything. And then I spent the next five or six years doing it poorly trying to do it on my own, trying to figure it out, but ultimately not doing a good job. And and I didn't know that until I spent five or six years sort of doing a bad job. And and then I realized I needed help. I just, I'd been doing it for long enough that I wasn't going to just magically figure it out one day. I needed someone uh, who had been there before, who had the success that I wanted, who would legitimately and genuinely sit down with me and take the time to care about where I was in my business, what I needed to do to change things, and then tell me what those things were and, and kind of watch me as I, as I do them to make sure it's being done right. And that's what I put together for you guys. That's what I'm trying to do. And believe me, we can make major, major uh, strides. We can hit some major goals. It doesn't take that long. It's just you have to know what the steps are. You have to understand that blueprint. And that's why I call it. And there's, and there's no, uh, it's no coincidence that it's called the business fast track blueprint, because I don't want to say, Hey, join this thing. And like five years from now, maybe you'll, you'll be where you want to be. Um, you, you will not 
likely get all the way there in the time that you're in this program. But what this program is for is to give you the tools, to give you the understanding, and to show you that blueprint of what you have to do to get there. And we will get you, we'll get you on that road. We'll get you partly down the path for sure. And some of you will actually see success in the amount of time you're in the program. Um, But ultimately, you're done a better service by having someone help you build the foundation, kind of build the vehicle, and set you on the road, right? Because the sky's the limit from there. You, you can go in, in a million different directions and, and see amazing success. But I, I highly urge you to, to seek help. Wherever that is, whether it's me or not, seek help. I just have created something that I happen to know works because it's been proven hundreds and hundreds of times right in front of my face. So go check that out, businessfasttrackblueprint.com if you are interested. All right, <clears throat> let's get to, I see people coming in. Let's get to the questions for the week. So one of them that was sent to me that I want to answer first, uh, because this is on everyone's mind right now. And I, and I think it's something that we should consider as real estate investors and as entrepreneurs. Um, but I think there's a lot of, you know, maybe different opinions. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you mine because I've been doing this a long time. And I happen to talk to, not only have I been doing a long time, I have a podcast, right? If you guys have not seen it, if you listen to podcasts, you can do a search for it. It's called Just Start Real Estate, where I talk to uh, some of the most brilliant minds in business and real estate from around not just the country, around the world. I talk to folks from outside the country too. And I get a good pulse and a good sense of where we are in the market. And so the question that I got was, I think foreclosures are going to increase. This is their question, right? I think foreclosures are going to increase. Do you think it's smart to wait till that wave begins post-forbearance uh, moratorium? I- I've answered answered similar questions in the past. and. Here's the key. This person who asked the question said, I think foreclosures are going to increase, right? And then they're talking about forbearances and moratoriums on, on, you know, evictions and on, on, um, uh, you know, being evicted and things like that, losing your house because of non-payment of mortgage. Here's the deal. And I I really have, I've I've modified my, my opinion about this whole uh, the market and in COVID and how it affected it and what does that mean and forbearance and all these foreclosures that are sort of being built up potentially in the background. I've heard smart people, people I trust, people I like and know and, and think they know what they're talking about say there are not as nearly as many foreclosures as you think there are being built up in the background. Um, it also matters which government is currently governing us, which which mindset or which philosophy is currently in charge. And not to make it political because it doesn't need to be, the, the bottom line is with a, uh, with a more liberal government comes a lot greater potential for forgiveness, for government programs that will intervene to keep people from maybe losing their house. Um, so my answer to this question in short is, I don't think you should wait. I think short of something astronomically different going on or some catastrophe or a war starting or you know something that is just absolutely going to impact us i don't think waiting is ever a good idea cuz here's what here's what waiting does so if i would have if you would have asked me this question a year ago i would have said by the beginning of 2021 i really think we're going to see 
something change in the market. It's going to start leveling off or even kind of going down. And I did say that. If you look back and at my podcast and people that I talked to, everyone was saying that, most everyone. And I was, I was there, I was included. So if I would have waited, it would have been January, February, March, April, May, now we're into June. I would still be waiting without any idea of when it's going to happen. So the fact of the matter is, just like this, this, um, this person asked, they said, I think foreclosures are going to increase. We don't know. We really don't know what's going to happen. And so if we don't know what's going to happen, then what are we waiting for? Because honestly, we never know what's going to happen. The bottom could fall out in six months. Nobody really, the vast majority of of the real estate community did not really know 2008, 2009, what was going to happen. Some people claim they thought, oh, this can't last forever. That Saying it's not going to last forever is different than saying that it's going to be an absolute utter disaster in real estate. And I'm sure there were people who, who predicted it, but most people didn't. And I know that because there were far too many people who just really lost a lot of money and their business crumbled around them because they didn't see it coming. So I don't think anybody really saw that coming the way that it happened. Um, and I don't think people really know what to expect now. So you might say, well, we didn't know what was going to happen in 2008 and look what happened and maybe we should wait. Yeah, but we don't know that anything's going to really significantly happen. There are some people out there in YouTube and on in the media and wherever you listen to news, it doesn't matter. There are people you can find uh, that are very, very plugged in and, they, and they've been in the industry and they know and they're, they, they predict these things who, who don't think that house prices are going to drop at all. Like they may level out, but they're never going to drop. They're never going to be what they were two or three years ago. Again, it's just going to kind of level off and go up, level off, go up. So bottom line is, I don't know what's going to happen. Nobody does, but I'll tell you this. I know this. I have experienced waiting in my life, waiting to start my business, waiting until the conditions were right, waiting until I had enough money saved, waiting until my kids were old enough. All these things that people, they, these waiting until there's more foreclosures or waiting until the forbearance moratorium is, is lifted, like waiting for all these things, I can tell you from experience is another excuse to not get started. It's fear-based. It is scarcity-based. It is not abundance-based. And, and in business and in real estate, it's no different because it's a business. Everybody I know who's successful has abundance mentality. And they don't wait for the world to tell them the conditions are right, because there'll always be a reason to wait for something else. There'll always be a reason to hold on until the next indicator tells you you should start. I am, I, I, I would pound my table like that if it wasn't obnoxious. I would keep doing it and say, don't wait, don't wait, because regret sucks. I can't go back to the five years that I didn't get started, I can't go back and start. That, that time is gone. I've missed that, that opportunity. And that's one of the big, big regrets of my life is not starting sooner, not getting started. The second big regret is not asking for, seeking for, and paying for help sooner. I waited too long to do that too. So if you add the five years that I didn't do anything and you add that onto the five years or six years that I did it poorly and didn't ask for help and thought I could figure everything out, it's like 10, 11 years of kind of doing nothing or spinning my wheels mostly. So don't wait. Don't wait for this. Don't, don't worry about the market. Don't worry about for Don't wait. Get out there now. A good deal now will make you money. Real estate, especially when you're talking like flips and, and short-term investments, like, like a lot of real estate investors do, 
the money will be, you'll, you'll make the investment, you'll take the risk, you'll make the money several times over before the market does anything significant. So I say, get out there and get started. By the way, if as a real estate investor specifically, if you can be profitable, make money and build your business in this market, I promise you, you will thrive when the market changes. So now is a good time to get out there and build that muscle, like sharpen that, that sword, get yourself out there and get good at it now. So when the market does shift, if it shifts, if something significant happens, you will be so poised and ready to go. It'll be amazing. I started actually taking action in 2008. Had I started when I, when I really wanted to start in 2003, I would have been in a great position in 2008 to understand what was happening in the market because when I got into the market in 2008, I didn't know what was I didn't really get it. I didn't know what I didn't know how to take advantage of the market that I was in and so I didn't. I spent 5 years and I wasted a prime time to make a ton of money. I wasted it by trying to figure things out on my own and I wasted it by not getting started sooner and building that muscle so that when the time came, I would be ready to go. So Short answer, start now. Don't worry about the, the forbearances and the, the moratoriums. Get going. Um, let's see. Uh, okay, so make sure there's no questions. Okay, next next question that I received uh, throughout the week. Are you, let's see, are you actively managing your real estate properties? If so, how did you find someone you trust to do this for you? Good question. So they're talking about rentals here. Uh, I do have someone who manages my rentals. And um, let's talk about why I do that. And then I'll talk about how I found them. So managing rentals, there's a lot of different schools of, of thought on this. There's a lot of different ways you can approach it. So some people will say, just manage your own rentals. It's not that hard, create systems, screen people really, really well. And it's, and it's pretty straightforward and it's, it's pretty, you know, it's not time intensive if you do a good job on the front end. And there's some truth to that. There's, there's a lot of truth to that, actually a lot of validity there, but a lot of us, uh, and I, I was not really in this boat when I started getting rentals, but a lot of folks who are buying rentals, especially when they're new, they have a full-time job. They're working nine to five. And so it becomes a little more tricky to, to manage your own rentals. Um, and so that's something to consider. How much time do you have to devote to it if something does go wrong or if you do need to, to deal with a maintenance issue or vacancy or you know whatever the case may be? That's something to think about. The other thing to think about is some people will say, don't use a property management company until you get to a certain amount of rentals. And then it, it sort of makes sense financially to use a property management company because the cash flow is such that you know it, it you sort of get to the point where the cash flow is big enough where you know the property management company is just another business expense and so you know it's just part of doing business when you start accumulating more rentals but you know for the first you know 3 4 5 you know half dozen or more like just do it yourself it's it's not that hard and i think the the first point of like screen it really, really well and, and create good systems could make it easier for you to actually manage your own rentals in the beginning. I, me, am of the opinion, and this is my own opinion. So if you disagree, go ahead and put something in the, in the chat. But um, I'm of the opinion you should get property management from day one. And if you have a nine to five, I even more emphatically say you should get property management from, from day one. Because the property management company, they have the systems, they have the processes, they screen, 
you know, theoretically they're screening really, really well because they don't want the problems either. And so all of that gets taken off your plate. And, and then the rental that you buy becomes exactly what it was intended to be, which is a passive income stream passive. If you're taking calls from tenants, you're screening them, you're doing walkthroughs, you're doing background checks, you're hiring maintenance people to go and take care of stuff. It's not as passive as it should be, in my opinion. I think property management makes sense from day one. And and that's assuming that you're buying your rentals with positive cash flow as one of your criteria. Some people buy rentals and they have they have no cash flow, meaning they basically break even. Or I, I know people who even buy rentals and they know going into it, it's going to be negative cash flow, meaning it is, uh, it's going to cost them money every month just to own and rent the house. I don't like that strategy. I think that's kind of nuts. Um, but some people do it. And if you're in that position, then maybe a property manager doesn't make sense because your negative cash flow becomes even more negative. But I think assuming that you're you're aiming for a, a reasonable cash flow, uh, I think property management makes sense right off the bat. And most property managers charge about ten percent of the rent. So, you know, if you're if you have a thousand dollar rent, they're charging a hundred bucks, and they're doing everything. They're taking care of all the issues and maintenance and all that stuff. So I think that really, really makes sense. And when I say take care of the maintenance, I mean they're taking care of arranging to have the maintenance done. You still have to pay for the for the for the repairs, but they're at least handling the headache part of it. Now, for me, I value my time even more than I value money. Time. You know, one unit of time is worth more than a dollar. So whatever that unit is for you, but I'm kind of being silly, but time does mean more to me than money. So I'm going to always pay for someone to give me back time because I think that's, that is, that's an ROI that I'm interested in. And so if you have a job and you're busy and you have kids and a wife or husband, whatever, a spouse, significant other, and you're just, you got, you have things going on. I think it's worth it to pay that that um, property management company that ten percent uh, to have them take care of everything. And so all that you do is you get checks every month, and you have no other hassles or involvement with that rental. So then the next part of the question is, how did you find your property manager? For me, it was a little different. I, the person who is my property or the company who's my property manager is owned by a person that I knew personally. I, I knew him. He had a number of rentals that he managed for himself. And that's how a lot of these property management companies become come into existence. They have rentals of their own. They, they manage them for themselves. And then they, they realize at some point, I built these systems and processes and I have this great machine that I've built and I'm only, I'm only managing my rentals. I could take on other rentals and this business would pay for itself. And so that makes sense, right? So it's always a good idea when you when you hire a property management company, find one who actually have rentals of their own that they manage, and so you know that they kind of they they kind of get what what you want as a as a landlord as an owner of the property. Um, but like with anything else, um, when it comes to hiring out somebody to do something for you, referrals are always king. I I would not go with a property management company that I couldn't talk to a bunch of referrals, that I couldn't look at reviews online about what people are saying about them, both good and bad. And by the way, you're always going to most likely always find bad reviews for anybody, bad reviews for anything. If you go on Amazon and you want to buy a thing, I do this all the time. You go on Amazon, you want to buy something and there are 15,000 reviews 
the average review is four and a half out of five stars. What do we do as human beings? We go to the bad reviews and see what they're saying, right? And then we start getting freaked out and we start talking us talking ourselves out of this, this thing that we want to buy because, you know, 27 people gave it one star out of, you know, 15,000. And we just focus on the 27 people who said something bad. And this is exactly why when you have a business that's being reviewed online, why you have to take all negative comments very seriously because people are straight to them, right? So my point is, if you're looking at a property management company and they have 500 reviews and two of them say these people are the worst people ever, take it with a grain of salt. It's two out of 500. But look for reviews, get referrals, um, maybe even and try to talk to some of the tenants and see what they think about, about how they're being treated. So that's what I would do. I, I happened to, this was a referral, but I got to know the person. Um, they were a buyer of mine. They were on my buyer's list. I'm a wholesaler. So they were on my buyer's list. I got to know them that way. And um, we became kind of friendly. And then I found out they had a property management company and I, I decided to go with them because I knew that the person who ran it was high integrity. He had his own rentals. He got what we wanted, what was important to me as a landlord that he knew. So that's how I went about it. So if you can meet them and kind of get to know the owners, that's awesome. That's not always an option, but I would at very least get referrals and look at reviews and make sure that you're comfortable that they've been doing it a while. They have systems and processes. They're local. I also went with a, land, uh, a property management company for a while before I started working with the one I have now who were out of state. They were, it was a tech company basically who was going to disrupt the property management industry. And all they managed to do was disrupt my profitability and my cash flow because they were just, they were the they were the worst about maintenance and what it should cost and customer service and trying to get a hold of them it was a disaster. They were trying to streamline this web, this portal, online portal, and they were gonna just like destroy the industry with technology and at when it all kind of shook out, they were just really, really bad. They didn't know what they were doing. They, they didn't have any rentals. They didn't know anything about rental properties. They just found an industry that they thought they could dominate and they went for it and wasn't great. But pick somebody who has a, a local presence, preferably if they have rentals and check the reviews and, and get uh, referrals. Okay, question in the comments from uh, Michael. I'm thinking of buying real estate out of state. Have you done this? If so, what advice do you have? I do not have uh, rentals out of state. But I think buying rentals out of state um, is a really, really smart thing if you live in a, in a part of the country or a part of the world where real estate prices are astronomically high. And for the United States, I would say, um, you know, California comes to mind. I've heard many people from California and not say it's really tough. In a lot of parts of California, it's really tough to buy real estate. Um, and as a rental property and make it make sense financially. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. If you're, if you're buying something that you, you know, if you're speculating, in other words, you're buying property that you think is going to be in the way of progress and somehow you're going to get bought out by the city and they're going to give you a ton of money, or it's just in an area that's up and coming and you're kind of doing this, uh, equity play or this appreciation play where you think the house is going to appreciate a lot. And so it doesn't matter if it really makes money because in 10 years, it's going to be worth, you know, a million dollars and you're buying it for 500 or whatever. Like if that's your, if that's your move, um, I think it's a mistake for the record, for the reasons I said earlier, I think betting on appreciation is not a smart primary 
model or a primary mode of investing. I, I just don't love it because I did live through 2008, 2009. I know what happened to people who were counting on appreciation. It, it, it devastated a lot of people. Um, so buying real estate out of state, if you're in a, in a state or in a part of you know, your area where the rent is just, or, or I'm sorry, where the house prices are just super, super high and the rent doesn't really justify the cost of the house, then I think buying out, out of state is smart. If I'm going to buy out of state and I, you know, some people, I know people who do this all the time, right? They say, oh, I'm from, you know, Cleveland, Ohio, and I moved to uh, San Diego. Uh, San Diego is too expensive for me to buy rentals, but I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. I know Cleveland, like the back of my hand, I lived there for 20 years. I'm going to buy rental properties in Cleveland and I have family and friends who can check on it. And I, I'm, you know, the, what my, my high school best friend is a general contractor and he's going to help me with maintenance. Like, okay, cool. That, that makes sense. You, that's a good option. I think I would do that too, if I were them. But if you don't have that sort of like, I grew up in this town that's great for rentals and now I moved to this really expensive place, if that's not your situation where maybe you were born and raised in, in San Diego um, and you don't have any knowledge of any other part of the country and no contacts and no way of really vetting a property because you don't really know, I think a good way to go in that route is going with a turnkey um, option. There are companies out there. And again, just like I said, with the property management company, do your homework look at the reviews, get referrals, talk to people. But uh, assuming you do all that well, using a company that, that offers turnkey rentals um, can be a really a big advantage when you're, when you're investing outside of the country. So that's what I, if I was going to invest in a different part of the country, if I didn't have any contacts, I would go with a company that hand, that does turnkey stuff and they help you with property management. Maybe they have a property manager, um, that option that they offer you, or they work with property managers closely. So they have those contacts and that, you know, those referrals built in. Um, one, one company that um, I guess I'm plugging them, they're not paying me to do it, but I, I like them. I think that they're a good service. They're called Roofstock. And you can find properties that are tenanted. They do a lot of research for you about the neighborhoods and the crime rate and the schools. And they can tell you, you know, what you should be paying for the house. And if there's any, they do inspections pre-sale. So they, they can tell you if there's any um, uh, capital expense expenditures that you're going to have to deal with. Um, uh, and they have this this service and this portal that's sort of built out to make the experience very convenient and very easy. And I think that they're a really good service that I, I would recommend if I was going to buy in another state, I would, in fact, uh, most likely go and use their service as well. So um, I, I have used them as a seller. So I have sold rentals through that process. I've not bought any through that process. I happen to live in Michigan. I, I live in a part of the country where it's very easy to find rentals that cash flow and, and have good appreciation. It's really, really great rental market. Um, so I don't have that problem, but I have sold properties through stock and I think that they're great. So buying out of state, if you're living in a really competitive, a really high priced market, I think buying out of state is not only okay, I think it's a great idea. I think it's very smart. I think you should be buying out of state if you're in a kind of a really expensive market. Don't Don't try to you know, don't try to just force a deal in a market where the deals are not that great. Go where they are great. I mean, the, the world has gotten so much smaller with technology. You know, to, to live in California and buy a rental in Texas might have been a really kind of a tough deal back in the 70s or 80s, right? But now with all the technology we have, like, 
you could have somebody there with an iPhone just FaceTiming you walking around. And, you know, it's just so much more um, visibility. So I, I say, absolutely, buy out of state. There's no problem there. Just, you know, make sure you're working with a reputable company or you have boots on the ground. People are in that area that can give you good information. And if that means even hiring a, um, a realtor from the area to give you some, do some recon, go look at the house, do market analysis, find out if it's a good asking price, like take those steps, but then by all means, buy out of state. I would buy out of state in two seconds if I didn't live in a state that I already had really, really good option for rentals. So it's a good question. Okay, next one that I wanted to cover here. Um, what made you choose real estate over anything else to invest in? Somebody asked me this um, in a DM. So, you know, there's a lot of reasons. You know, one of the easy ones I can give you, and I hear this all the time from people. I, I thought this too, and then I, I hear this from other people who get into real estate. I ask people all the time, why, are you, why do you get into real estate? What, what was the reason? Why real estate as opposed to anything else? I ask people this question all the time on my podcast. And the, and the answer I get is always very, very similar. And it's very similar to what I answer people when they ask me. I, I looked at, of all the people that I know of, or a lot of them in the world who have gotten rich or made a lot of money that are famous enough that you can actually dig in and find out what they did or get, get into their background a little bit, a lot of them made their money in real estate or made money and then exponentially increased their wealth through real estate. Real estate is a common denominator. It's a thread that runs through a lot of people who have had a high level of financial success. So, and real estate, unlike some other things, and I'm not going to, I'm not bashing anything, but like crypto, right? People are making tons of money in crypto. There's nothing wrong with it if that's what you're into, but like crypto and stocks and things like that, that aren't tangible. You, 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 buy into them, you purchase stock or crypto, and it's like this thing in the ether. It's, it's, it's this sort of thing that you can't really touch. And for some people, they don't care. They don't care if they can touch it. They, they want to make money. And I totally um, understand that philosophy. I get it. But for a lot of people, real estate is great because not only have a lot of people in history made a ton of money and gotten very, very wealthy, and that seems to be a, a thread that runs through a lot of people who have, who have had a high level of financial success. But the other thing is, if I buy a property, I know if I buy it today for $100,000, tomorrow it's not going to be worth zero, like something that isn't tangible can potentially be the next day. It can be worth zero. Or a year from now, it could be worth zero, even in 08 and 09. A house, a brick house, or a you know stick-built house, or whatever, a physical property did not go to zero for the most part. Now you may be able to find examples, and I, I live in Michigan, so I know in Detroit houses were almost zero. I get that, but they weren't zero. And and for ninety-nine percent of of real estate, it didn't go to zero. And so you pay a hundred thousand dollars today for a house property. Tomorrow it's worth a hundred thousand. In a week it's worth a hundred thousand. In a year maybe it's worth ninety-five. Maybe it's worth one hundred five. But it sort of holds its value for the most part. If you're in real estate and you buy a house for a hundred thousand dollars, my assumption and my hope for you, if you're any good at what you're doing, it's worth more than a hundred thousand the day you bought it. 
hopefully you're buying houses at a discount if you're flipping or you know if you're actually investing in real estate hopefully you're buying it under value and so if i'm buying a house for $100,000 today as a real estate investor i hope that it's worth 125 150 maybe 200 and so tomorrow it's certainly not going to be worth less than i paid it's worth a lot more than i paid 5 years from now it's still probably worth more than i paid good chance and in 20 years from now almost without any variance, it's going to be worth more than what I paid for. Because if you think about it, if you bought a house in 2005 at sort of the height of real estate over the last 15 years, and then in 08, it sort of, you know, sort of crashed. Now in 2021, it's probably worth more than you paid in 2005. I can almost guarantee it is in most places, not every place, but most places, right? So over the long term, um, real estate not only holds its value, it increases, right? Even in the worst of conditions, if you look at a house that somebody bought in the 70s, it's worth a lot more now. Almost doesn't matter where it is. It's worth a lot more than it was in the 70s. So why did I invest in real estate? It's where a lot of people made their money. It also interests me, right? So that's something. I don't think it's everything, by the way. I don't think, be, you know, just be, you know, if you're passionate about something, it doesn't necessarily mean that's what you should invest in. But I like real estate. I did look at stocks and, and things like that, day trading and all these things before I got into real estate. And, I, and frankly, it bored me. I didn't like it. I was completely uninterested. And I was only doing it to chase money. And, and I, as I said many times in the past, money is not a motivator. It's a temporary motivator. It's short term. It's like sugar. It can it can get you going. It can rev you up. It won't be long term. So, I like real estate, and so that was another reason why I went there. I know it's 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 historically where a lot of people made their money. I get it. It's a physical asset. I can touch it. I can feel it. I know it's not going to disappear from one day to the next in terms of its value. Um, and and there is that appreciation over time. So, uh. And it's it's very proven. It's just it's just time tested. People have been buying and selling real estate forever. So that's why I, I got into real estate over anything else. I don't like anything else that much. And I have a short attention span. So if you're going to try to get me, that's why crypto, like uh, there's, you know, there might be people on this call or watching it down the road where you go, oh man, you're crazy. Crypto is great. Let me tell you about it. I get, I get DMs every single day of people trying to get me into crypto. And, and while I may regret that I didn't in 10 years, it's very possible. I regret that I didn't buy Tesla stock. I regret that I didn't buy Microsoft or Apple stock 25 years ago, right? I may regret it, but I don't like it. And so I would rather chase something that I is time tested and proven that I like, that I understand, that I know I can make money at, rather than chasing something for the money and certainly something that can be here and gone from one day to the next. I don't love that, <clears throat> but some people do. So that's why I chose real estate. Okay. Let's see here. Next question. Uh, I am bidding on properties, but keep getting beat. It's starting to become discouraging. What should I do? So yeah, this is uh, you know, join the club. This is happening all over the place because real estate is so hot right now. People are, investors are making offers on properties, whether it's on the MLS or it's off market with a wholesaler or, or uh, with a seller, you know, you're talking directly. Um, people do get beat because house prices are soaring. And so it becomes this crazy bidding war where people are just, some people will pay stupid amounts of money for a house, like overpay by a lot because 
you get into the, you know, it's, it's a bidding frenzy. It's like a psychology when you want something and somebody bids higher than you as a human race, we want to win. So we want to outbid that person. And so they get into the bidding wars and, uh, and people just pay amounts that make no sense and unjustifiable. So it can happen, but here's what you have to do. If you're getting outbid, I don't want to assume that you're putting in the right bid, right? If you're getting outbid, you might be being too conservative. And there's, there's, you know, somebody taught me this a long time ago. There's two ways that you lose out on, on deals. Um, either, you know, in, in, you can either be too conservative or too aggressive and you can lose both ways. If you're too aggressive, meaning you're bidding too high, you may get the deal, but you're going to lose money. So that's bad. If you're too conservative and you're bidding too low all the time, you're never going to get a deal and that's bad, right? So there's like this perfect, there's a sweet spot when it comes to making offers. And sometimes what I find when people say, oh, I'm getting beat out on deals, I'm getting beat out on deals. One, one impulse in me is to say, just stick with it. Like just keep making offers. Don't worry about it. Stick to your numbers. But what I have come to find over the years is that sometimes when I'm talking to that person, what I don't know is their numbers that they're putting together to make offers are unbelievably conservative and they will never get a deal in any market because they're building in so many contingencies and they're, they're padding it so much that they're just bidding them. They're, they're, they're calculating and they're using math to push them right out of contention under any circumstances. So <clears throat> look at your model, look at how you're valuing properties, look at how you're estimating renovations, look at how you're estimating the cost of money, look at how you're estimating all the other holding costs, insurance and taxes and utilities, and make sure that you're not being unrealistic on the conservative side. You're not over constraining your number so that you're never going to get a deal. Even if the market you know, crashes or whatever, like you're never going to get a deal because you're just building it up. You're building a model that is not possible to get a deal. And, and that may sound strange to some of you. And I'm not advocating that you just make these crazy, you know, super high offers. Because like I said, on the, on the other end, if you go too aggressive, now you're losing money. So you need to find that sweet spot. And if you can, if you're bidding off market and you're, you're talking to a wholesaler, for example, you just ask them, like, go back on some of these properties that you didn't get and ask them what it sold for. They may tell you, they may not, but they may tell you. And if they don't tell you, you can always wait a few more months and, and just do, go back and do the research and find out what it sold for. Go on Zillow or ask a realtor to get into the MLS and, and check and see what it sold for. Um, but you can find out. And so you can start building a little bit better model. But my guess is if you're getting beat out all the time on everything, also, it'd be important to find out how badly are you getting beat? Are you just barely losing out or are you just, you're just not even close to what people are paying? If you're not even close to what people are paying, you might be being a little too conservative. If you're just barely missing out, you just have to tweak it a little bit. Like, you know, it, some people, I did this and I sometimes do still, if I'm not super confident with a, with an offer, but some people will build in, like they'll, they'll look at the, you know, the ARV and then they'll look at the cost to buy it and the cost of money and the cost of the renovation, the holding costs, insurance, taxes, all these things. And then they'll have a number that they can offer and then they'll reduce it by 10%, just as a, oh crap, kind of a 
kind of a safe safety net, right? They'll, they'll add that extra 10% of cushion just in case. Maybe it's a matter of taking that cushion off, especially in this market. As competitive it is, as it is, maybe that 10% that you're just throwing on for no good reason without any a line item number, you know, it's like, there's nothing you're really saying. It's going to, it's going to cost that 10%. It's just, you're doing it to be safe. You may have to remove that. And so if you're, if your profit, put if you're, if your expected profit was, let's just say on a deal, $30,000, maybe it has to be 25, maybe it has to be 20 in this environment, right? Would you rather get, you know, four deals at 20% profit margin or one at 25 or 30, because you were just hanging on and you missed out on all these other deals, but you ended up getting one and you made 30,000, but you missed out on four that you would have made 20,000, right? That's one way to look at it. So you might have to be a little more aggressive about your offers, I guess is what I'm saying. <clears throat> or if you know you're right on with your numbers, if you're, if you're making that argument and you're barely missing, just stick to it, right? Just stick to it. Sometimes it's a matter of what are your goals. If you wanna, if you, if you're a house flipper and you wanna flip a hundred houses this year and you've only flipped four, you're you're gonna have to be more aggressive with your offers. You're just gonna have to because you're not getting anywhere with what you're doing. If you only want to flip two houses this year and you've already flipped one, stick with your numbers. Stay stay firm with what you're doing and and wait it out. Eventually, you probably will get a deal and you'll do your two this year. Okay, so it's sometimes it's a matter of like what is your what's your goal, right? So you have to think about that. Okay. Uh, let's see here. I've got one more question. I don't see any in the comments right now, so I'll keep plugging along. If you guys have them, by all means, put them in there, but I, I have one more and then we'll call tonight if there's no more. Okay. Uh, last question. I'm interested in rentals, but I don't understand what the 1% rule is. Okay. So if you get on various websites around the internet, um, you'll, you'll hear people talking about the 1% rule when it comes to rentals. Some people will talk about the 2% rule when it comes to, to rentals. What it basically means is it's sort of a fast down and dirty way of evaluating a rental property. So what you do with the 1% rule, let's just say, for example, you have a property that you're looking at that the asking price is $80,000 and you look at the pictures, maybe you go walk the property and you determine that it's going to take you $20,000 to make it rent ready or to renovate it to whatever level of quality that you want your rentals to be. And so now you're all into it for $80,000 purchase price, $20,000 renovation. You're all into it for $100,000. The 1% rule says, if you're going to be all in on a property purchase and renovation for $100,000, then the rent that you charge should be $1,000 or more. So $1,000 rent on a $100,000 purchase and renovation all-in price, that's the 1% rule. And in my opinion, if you're not getting at least the 1% rule or better, you are looking in the wrong place at rentals. You should not be buying a rental that will not produce the 1% rule. In a lot of areas of the country, Michigan being one of them, it's very common and doable to hit the 2% rule. Meaning if you buy a house for $80,000 and you put $20,000 into it, now you have $100,000 in that house. The 2% rule says you should be able to rent it for $2,000, not 1,000, right? 1,000 is a 1%, 2,000 is 2%. That's very doable in Michigan. It's very doable in other states too. So if you're not at least getting that 1%, if you're not hitting that, then I think you should be looking either in another part of your market 
or in a different state or a different area altogether. Because I think when you get below the 1% rule, vacancies, maintenance, and all that stuff, that's all going to eat you up. And, and you're going to, you're going to end up running at a kind of a net zero potential for those properties. So I would be really careful. The only exception, and I, I specifically warned against this earlier in, in this, in this call, but if you're buying a house in a highly, highly desirable neighborhood in a, in an area where maybe in 2008, 2009, the prices really didn't take a hit because it's just so desirable. And you buy a house there that doesn't quite hit the 1% rule, but you know that it's desirable. You know it will always be rented. And in fact, you have a high level of confidence that the house will appreciate significantly over the next several years than maybe. But that is, that is the far exception to the rule of 1% or better. 2% is great. If you can get 3%, awesome, but I don't hear about that very often. 2% is a fantasy for most areas. 1% is doable and should be doable. And if you can't hit that 1%, don't try to talk yourself into that deal because I think it's a it's probably not a great deal. Again, unless you're in that highly, highly desirable neighborhood or you know, you just know people are just killing themselves to get into the neighborhood and, and the house is going to appreciate crazy, then then maybe. But in general, as a rental goes, one percent rule—that's where you want to live. Uh, if you can get two percent, great. If you can't get—if you get one percent now, and you want two percent because I just told you you can get it in some areas. Um, go to Roofstock. Like they—I guarantee they have properties on there that are hitting the two percent rule or close to it. Um, or just do your own research. If you, like I said, if you grew up in, you know, uh, Idaho, and there's some town in Idaho that, you know, house prices are. You know, you can buy a house and renovate it for $50,000 and, and charge $1,000 in rent. There you go. 2% rule. If you can hit those numbers, that's great. Um, but at least get the 1% rule. And that's what the 1% rule is. Add your purchase price plus your renovation. And then 1% of that total number is what you should be able to get for rent. And I'm not saying spend $100,000 and then just charge $1,000 because if the market doesn't support that $1,000 rent, you're not going to get it and, and the house will be vacant and then you're going to end up taking less anyway. So make sure that the market rents support $1,000 on that $100,000 purchase. And that's the 1% rule. And I think that that's a relatively safe, um, a safe investment. And, and if you can get more, get more, because I think that's obviously better. Um, and, and by the way, real quick, I'll say this. There are some areas where you can beat the 2% rule by a, a wide margin. But a lot of times these are in really, really bad areas where the house might only cost you 25000 or 15000 And it says that it can rent for $800,000, $900,000. But the reality is, you know, if the neighborhood is so bad, you're going to have tons of vacancies, which is going to completely destroy your, your profit margins. And you're going to have vandalism and all this stuff. So be, be really careful about being seduced by you know outrageously good um, cash flow, because a lot of times it's just the house is in a bad area. There's a reason why the house is so cheap and the rent is theoretically high. And by the way, sometimes the rent might say it's $1,000 because two streets over, it's a much better neighborhood and they're getting that. But on the street you're buying on, Nobody will live there because it's so dangerous. So just be careful about that. But that's the 1% rule in a nutshell. All right, guys, that is all I have for tonight. We're about four, well, about 50 minutes in. That's about what we normally do. Um, 
Don't forget, we're here every Wednesday at 7 o'clock Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. I'm here to answer your questions. You can shoot them to me throughout the week. You can log on and ask questions like people do. That's great. Also, don't forget, if you are in the two camps, and I would imagine 100% of you are in one of these two camps, you either want to start your business or you started it and you're not happy with the, the results, you're not happy with the growth, you're not happy with the profitability, I'm here for you. Go to businessfasttrackblueprint.com, check it out, sign up. I'm starting the program. I want to see you succeed. I am 100% committed to success in that group. Uh, so be one of the first success stories. I can't wait to see you there. Go check it out. If you have any questions, you can shoot me an email at mike at juststartrealestate.com. I'll answer any questions you have about it. Until next week, guys, I can't wait to see you. I can't wait for your questions. Uh, thank you for joining me and I'll see you next week. All right. I hope you enjoyed that. Remember, I do these Q&As live on Facebook on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. I hope you enjoyed this. Tune in next week for another installment of live Q&As answering your questions. Okay. Until next time.